0: Good evening everyone. How are you guys doing today? <laughs> Great. <laughs> One person. Great. <laughs> How are you guys doing tonight? Great. Are you doing all right? All right. If you can, please turn your Bible to Joshua chapter 24. Joshua chapter 24. And we're going to be looking at verses 14 and 15. But I also want to just give thanks to Mark and also the other undershepherds giving me this opportunity to share the word with you guys tonight. So Joshua twenty four, fourteen through 15, I'm going to read it out and then I'm going to open us up in prayer. The word of the Lord reads. So now, fear Yahweh and serve him in integrity and truth. And put away the gods which your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve Yahweh. If it is evil in your sight to serve Yahweh, choose. Choose for yourselves today whom you will serve. Whether the gods which your fathers served which were beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But... As for me and my house, we will serve Yahweh. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you so much for our Savior and our Lord Jesus Christ. And it is because of him that we have a firm foundation. He is our rock. He is our cornerstone, and he is the reason why we're here today to bring honor and glory, God, to your name. Father in heaven, I do pray that you would please help us to be teachable. Help us to learn, Lord God, from the examples that we see in Scripture, God. And Father, I pray that we would be resolved, that we would be committed to honor your name, to bring glory to your name. Father, that we will not live our lives for ourselves, but Lord, that we will live for you. Father, if there are things that are entangling our hearts or distracting us from you and serving you and worshiping you, I ask, Holy Spirit, that you would bring conviction, that you would bring to light the sin that is in the deepest parts of our hearts, Lord. God, that we would confess it and repent and turn to you. Lord, I pray that you would please bless me, that you would give me the words to speak your truth. But Lord, I am just a man. So I pray that, God, you would have your way with your word and do what you desire to do. Bless this time. We give you glory. In Jesus' name, amen. I was supposed to preach this the first um, Friday back in January, and I was thinking about resolutions. But we're in March, (laughs) and if you're like me, you probably have some resolutions, you probably already quit. (laughs) That is a typical thing, right? You know, I used to work as a personal trainer. And as a personal trainer, every year, I did this for over 10 years, and it was kind of funny to me because... Of course, you have those very enthusiastic people who come to the gym and they are wanting to get fit. I want to get ripped, man. That's what they would tell me. First week, they're there. They're five days a week and they're just going hard. They're eating well. Second week, they're going hard and they're eating well. The third week, well, you know, I missed the day. It's okay, though, but I'm going to do those four days. The following week, three days. The next week, two days. The next thing you know, they're not there. But yet they're still paying their gym membership fees. I think you all can relate. And the problem is like, why is it? Why does something like that happen? And the problem with that is, is because there's a desire, but the desire was not strong enough to see that um, result. The desire was not strong enough to carry them on. You see, today we're going to talk about resolution, specifically about being resolved. But when I'm talking about being resolved, I'm not talking about the temporary joy or the temporary happiness that we can experience here right now in this life. But I'm talking about a resolve to be in the very presence of God. I think of a psalmist, he says, one thing I desire, that will I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to behold the beauty of the Lord. I'm sure many of you have heard of Jonathan Edwards, and he had what we know today as the 70 resolutions that he had. And the idea behind this, these resolutions was to bring glory and to bring honor to God. And the first resolution, he was resolved that everything that he would do, that it would be to bring honor to God, to bring glory to God. If I'm eating, it's going to bring glory to God. If I'm having a box of cereal, I'm going to do it for the glory of God. In other words, he was not to do anything for his own self. It wasn't about him. It was about the glory of God. And we see this in scripture, this idea that everything that we do, it has to be for the glory of God. Unlike the person who wants to train to change his outward appearance, we train and we do these things motivated for the glory of God. And that has to be the ulterior motive behind everything that we do, ultimately to bring honor and glory to our God. You see, this text serves as an example for your resolve to enter into God's rest. And I'm going to unpack that a little bit for you. You see, Joshua, he's in his final, um, he's having his final words. He's about to die and he's giving his final instructions to Israel. Now, if you know anything about the book of Joshua, it's divided in two halves. The first 12 chapters is about conquering the promised land. And then in the latter half, from 13 to 24, there's a division of the land. And this goes all the way back to what God had promised the Israelites. And he had given this promise specifically to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. And now this generation of Israel, they're going in and they are receiving the very promises that God had given them. But there's more because there's this idea of rest as well. And that's, it permeates all throughout the scripture. Let me give you an example. Turn your Bibles to Deuteronomy chapter 12. Deuteronomy chapter 12. We're going to look at verses 9 and 10. Now, again, the book of Deuteronomy, it's a restatement. Moses is about to tell, he's telling them, hey, you're about to cross. You're about to go into the land. This is around 1405 B.C. And so now he's telling them, this is what God's going to do for you. And he says in verse nine, for you have not as yet come to the resting place. Now, please pick up on that word rest. For you have not come to the resting place and the inheritance, which Yahweh, your God, is giving you. Now you will cross the Jordan and live in the land which Yahweh, your God, is giving you to inherit. And he will give you rest from all your enemies all around you so that you live in security. So we see this promise that God has given them, that they are going to go in the land. They're going to cross the Jordan River. And they're going to receive this land and God is going to give them rest. Now turn your Bible to Joshua chapter 1. Joshua chapter 1. And I'm going to read verse 15. In the context, Joshua is speaking to these three tribes, and that's Manasseh, the Gadites, and the Reubenites. And they had said that they will go fight for the rest of the land with the other Israelites, but they wanted to stay on the east side of the Jordan. So they're about to cross over. So he's addressing them. And he says in verse 15, until Yahweh gives your brothers rest as he gives you. Again, he's speaking to these three tribes and they also possess the land which Yahweh your God is giving them. Okay. So let me just try to summarize everything. So in Deuteronomy, Again, it's around 1405 BC. Moses is talking to people. He's addressing the people. God is going to give you this land. And now they're about to go into this land. And Joshua has taken the mantle from, from Moses because he died, because he could not go into the land, ultimately because of his disobedience. So Joshua, whose name means Yahweh saves, God saves, keep that in mind, is going to bring them into the land of the inheritance that God had given, promised way, way, way long ago. So they're about to inherit this land that they would experience this sense of rest, this rest from all of their enemies, rest for their own souls, rest that they would be in the very promised land that God had given them. Turn your Bibles to Joshua 22, 4. And again, he's speaking to the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half tribe of Manasseh. And he says in verse 4, "And and now... Yahweh, your God has given rest to your brothers as he spoke to them. So now turn and go to your tents, to the land of your possession, which Moses, the servant of Yahweh, gave you beyond the Jordan. So this is after they have conquered the land, they've divided the land. And so Joshua was telling these three tribes, hey, it's the, the, the work is done. It's complete. Now go to your homes, go back and rest because God has given rest. Rest to your brothers. Look at 23, one, Joshua 23.1. Now what happened after many days, after Yahweh had given rest to Israel from all their enemies on every side, and Joshua was old, advanced in years. So they are in the promised land. They are experiencing this rest. God had fulfilled everything that he said that he was going to do with them, but yet they still had to be obedient. And so now you have Joshua who was giving his final instructions to the children of Israel. And he says, fear Yahweh, serve him, put away idols and choose Yahweh. Those are the four commands that he gives them. Now, there are two parts that I wanna talk about tonight. And number one, what we're gonna see in this text is an exemplary resolve, an exemplary resolve. And that exemplary resolve is how do I maintain or how do I stay in this place of rest. But second, we're talking about a resolve for today. And I want to show you, and I'm going to take you through some other passages because we also have to understand that there is also a rest for us today. And we are to strive for that rest. If we were to look at the book of Hebrews. Now, I also want to give a little caveat on that because when I talk about striving, are you saying, Ty, that I have to work for my salvation? No. That's not what I'm saying. However, as God has given us his spirit and God has given us all of the resources to bring honor and glory to his name, we are to strive by the strength that he provides in his word and by his spirit. One of the first things, again, that you're going to see in this text is an example Now, when I talk about an example, if we were to look at Romans 15, 4, it says, whatever things were written before, they were written for our instruction so that we, through the patience and the comfort of the scriptures, we might have hope. In other words, when we look at texts like this, when we look at a narrative, when we look at men like Joshua and Moses and so many others in the Old Testament scriptures, they serve as an example for us, whether it can be negative and it can also be positive. It's instructive for us. So again, my first point here is an exemplary resolve. And so Joshua, he gives this command first in verse 14. So now fear, fear Yahweh. And after all, everything starts at this very statement right here. This first command Fear Yahweh. The Bible tells us in Proverbs 1.7, the fear of Yahweh is the beginning of knowledge. But fools, what do they do? They disregard it. You see, if you're wise, you're gonna have a sense of fear for Yahweh. Why? Because he is creator. Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God. It all started with him. This is his world and we are his people. We are created in his image. Therefore, we are to honor him. We are to have a sense of fear of God. But we're also to have a sense of fear for God because he's also holy. If again, if we were to look at Leviticus 10.3, it says, Moses says to Aaron after Nadab and Abihu, after they die, he says, this is what the Lord God said. By those who come near me, I must be regarded as holy. And before all the people, I must be glorified. God is holy. God is creator. And not only that, but God is also the same God who holds life in his hands. If we were to go to the New Testament and we see Jesus, he says, do not fear those who kill the body, but rather fear him who was able to destroy both soul and body in hell. God holds your life in his hands. And we're not talking about just a physical death. God can cast all men and souls into hell apart from his presence. So yes, we are to have a sense of fear, for Yahweh, And this is exactly what Joshua is commanding them. Fear Yahweh. You see, fear is a necessary deterrent. Fear will keep us from sin. The Bible says in Proverbs 3, 7, do not be wise in your own eyes, fear Yahweh and turn away from evil. The Bible says in Proverbs 16, 6, mercy and truth, atonement is provided for iniquity, but by the fear of the Lord or by the fear of Yahweh, one departs from evil. Fear is a necessary deterrent, a necessary deterrent from sin. But what you also have to understand, fear, yes, it is an emotion. But this fear, it comes by what we believe. So therefore, what I believe has to be cultivated. In other words, fear can be taught. If we look at Psalm 34, he says, come, come, you children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of Yahweh. The fear of God can be taught as we delve into the scriptures and learn more about who God is. And by the power of the spirit, we start to have a greater understanding, a greater capacity for this sense of fear of a holy and a just and a righteous God who was creator of all. The Bible says in Isaiah 66, 2, on this one, I will look, the one who was poor and of a contrite spirit and who what trembles, trembles at my word. Do you tremble at the word of God? When you go to service on Sunday, when the word of God is being read, do you tremble? Or do you have a flippant attitude and you're kind of scrolling to your cell phone, looking at your text, not paying attention at God's word? The Bible says that we are to fear and we are to tremble at the very word of God. Again, it is a necessary deterrent. But Joshua, he goes on and he gives a second command. And he says right here, serve him, serve Yahweh. And when we talk about service, this word serve or to serve as a verb is used 48 times in the book of Joshua. If we were to look at Joshua chapter 22 to 24, it's actually used 25 times. In these two verses alone, it's used seven times. 18 times, Moses is referred to as the servant of Yahweh or the servant of the Lord. Serve. And when we talk about service, we're talking about having an allegiance. Another way of thinking about service is also worship. The Bible says in Romans 12, 1 and two, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable Service, or some translation, worship. He says, serve him, but he also describes how you are to serve. And he says, I want you to serve in integrity. Again, look at verse 14. He says, serve him in integrity. And this word, integrity, or some of your Bibles might say, in sincerity. The same word in the Hebrew, it's also used for animals that were to be sacrificed before God. And if you know anything about the sacrificial system, you were not to just come to God with any type of sacrifice. You couldn't come to God with a three-legged goat. No, you had to have all its legs. It had to be blameless. It had to be complete. It had to be perfect before God in order to be uh, acceptable before God. The same um, word is also described of Noah. He was blameless before God. If you were to look at Genesis chapter 17, one, God commands Abraham, go and be blameless, be perfect, be without spot. And so he is telling them that when you serve, you are to serve in integrity. You're going to serve with a pure heart before God. God does not accept any type of worship, any type of service. But again, not only are they to serve in integrity, they're also to serve in truth. Again, the Bible tells us, God is near to all who call upon him, but all who call upon him in truth. If we were to look at the book of Leviticus, the first half of the book, 16 chapters, is about appropriate worship to God. You just can't come to God in any way. And this is exactly what happened to Nadab and Abihu. They offered fire that was not prescribed by God. And because of that, God struck them dead. God is holy. You just can't come to God and say, God, I'm just going to worship you in any way or shape or fashion. I'm going to worship you without Jesus being my Lord. You can't do it. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to me except by me, No one can come to the Father except through me. So when he talks about service, you are to serve with integrity. You are to serve in truth. And this is what the Israelites, this is what they were supposed to do. They were to serve in integrity. They were to serve in truth. They couldn't just serve him in any kind of way. They were given the very laws of God, how to worship him. And then we see a third command here. He says, put away the gods which your father served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve Yahweh. Put away the gods. Or another way of saying it is put away idols. Anything that you place ahead of God, anything that you value, anything that you desire more than God, put it aside, put it away. Specifically, when we look at this text, it's, he says right here, uh, the gods which your father served beyond the river and in Egypt, beyond the river. Look at Joshua 24.2. He says this, and Joshua said to all the people, thus says Yahweh, the God of Israel, from ancient times, your fathers lived beyond the river. <laughs> that is beyond the Jordan. From ancient times, your fathers lived beyond the river, namely Terah. This is the father of Abraham and the father of Nahor, and they serve other gods. They served many gods. They bowed down to many gods. They served gods that were not prescribed by Yahweh. But God calls Abraham out of that pagan society, and he starts to reveal himself to him. And through... um, Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Israel, ultimately, they're given the laws of God, and they are not to live like the other nations. You're not to live in the ways that you, the way that you associated with your life before it being revealed. The same thing to us. Not everyone was saved from birth. Well, no one here was saved from birth. Yes, I understand you were saved from the foundation of the world, but there was a time when you started to understand that Jesus was the way, you started to understand that God was holy and you understood that you were a sinner and you understood that you had to put your faith and trust in Christ and that you had to repent of your sin in order to have this relationship with God. And some of us know what it's like to live a life in clubs and drinking and living in debaucherous lifestyle. And we know that we cannot live that lifestyle anymore. Why? Because God called us out of it. So Joshua was telling them, don't live like you used to live. Don't live like your fathers who were beyond the river. And also don't live like your fathers who um, serve other gods in Egypt. When it talks about Egypt, if we were to look at, I'm not going to go there, but if we were to look at, I believe, Leviticus 17 verse 7, it talks about how they offered sacrifices of goat demons. That's what they probably got from, um, from their time in Egypt. If we were to look at Ezekiel chapter 20, verse 7 and 8, God also, again, he rebukes them because they still worshipped, that is Israel, they still worshipped the gods that they were um, associated with in Egypt. God rebukes them for it. Same with us. We cannot worship and serve all of these false gods, these idols. We have to put it aside. We have to be single-hearted, fully devoted to Yahweh. But then he gives a fourth command. And he says, verse 15 If it is evil in your sight to serve Yahweh, choose. Choose for yourselves today whom you will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served, which were beyond the river, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me and my house, we will serve Yahweh. Look at verse 15 again. He says, if it is evil in your sight. And some of your uh, Bibles might have a um, different translation. If it is disagreeable. The idea is God is not enough. I know he revealed all of these things to me. If, if I don't agree with that, <laughs> if I think it's evil, then choose. Now he doesn't say specifically choose Yahweh. Now look at the text more carefully. It's like you've come... Um, made up your mind that God is not good enough, that Yahweh is not good enough. And therefore I'm going to go live my life. And he says, well, if you're going to live a life, choose. Go live your life. Go do what you want to do. And he says, choose. Choose what? For yourselves. And he says, today there's a sense of urgency. Whom you will serve. Now he talks about who. Now who are you going to choose? Whether the gods which your father served, which were beyond the river, or... The gods of the Amorites in whose land you were living. Now, think about how lunacy this is. Who do you want to serve? God has just wiped out this whole nation, the land that you're living in. Now, do you want to serve the one that was not able to protect them from you? The God who brought you into the land? Is that who you want to serve? God has already proven himself to be greater than that God. Why would you choose that? It is ridiculous. Choose. Is it the God of the Amorites in whose lands you are living? (laughs) You see, one thing we have to understand about this text as well, especially when we start thinking about choosing, I'm not saying that anyone in here can choose God. You see, what I also want you to see in the text of Scripture is that they did not choose God. Rather, God chose them. God revealed himself to them. God did miraculous wonders for them that they would believe. Turn your Bibles to Deuteronomy chapter 9. And I want to look at verse 5. And I would encourage you to memorize this. (laughs) Write it down. And Moses says to them, it is not for your righteousness or for the uprightness of your heart that you are going to possess their land. But it is because of the wickedness of these nations that Yahweh your God is dispossessing them before you. In order to confirm the oath which Yahweh your God, which Yahweh swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. Again, this takes us all the way back to Genesis chapter 12, 15, and 17, when God had given Abraham a promise, it said through your seed, all nations will be blessed. I'm going to give you a land. God had given him a promise. And if you look at Genesis chapter 15, remember that the covenant was, um, was ratified through blood. And God puts Abraham to sleep and they cut an animal in blood. It's representative, representative of, of, of a covenant between two parties. But Abraham is asleep and what happens is God, God himself walks through the blood, basically saying that this covenant is based on my promise. because God, Is great and awesome. He does not break his promises. And so God is telling them in Deuteronomy chapter nine, the very promise that I gave to Abraham, to Isaac and Jacob, you're seeing the fulfillment of it as you start to go into the land. But there's more because God did so much for them. And I started in verse, go back to Joshua chapter 24. Verse 14, I said, so now, and remember when we see something like that, all right, therefore, we have to go back to the previous verses. And what Joshua does is that he unpacks, he starts to um, talk about all of the wonderful things that God has done. And he starts in verse 1, 24 verse 1. Then Joshua gathered all the tribes of Israel to Shechem. And called for the elders of Israel and for their heads and their judges and their officers. And they presented themselves before God. And Joshua said to all the people, thus says Yahweh, the covenant keeping God, the God of Israel from ancient times, your fathers lived beyond the river, namely Terah, the father of Abraham and the father of Nahor, and they served other gods. Then I took your father Abraham from beyond the river and led him through all the land of Canaan and multiplied his seed, and gave him Isaac. To Isaac I gave Jacob and Esau, and to Esau I gave Mount Seir to possess it. But Jacob and his sons went down to Egypt. Then I went, sent Moses and Aaron, and I smote Egypt by what I did in its midst, and afterward I brought you out. Do you see God is intervening in their lives? It was God who brought Abraham. It was God who... Um, brought Isaac and Jacob and all of the others who were going to follow. It was God's hand that was upon them. But Joshua continues on. And I brought your fathers out of Egypt and you came to the sea and Egypt pursued your fathers with chariots and horsemen to the Red Sea. Then they cried out to Yahweh. He put darkness between you and the Egyptians and brought the sea upon them and covered them. And your own eyes saw what I did in Egypt. And you lived in the wilderness for many days. Then I brought you into the land of the Amorites who live beyond the Jordan and they fought with you and I gave them, listen to that, I gave them into your hand and you took possession of their land and I destroyed them before you. Then Balak, the son of Zippor, king of Moab, arose and fought against you and he sent and summoned Balaam, the son of Beor, to curse you. But I was not willing, listen, I was not willing to listen to Balaam. So he blessed you and repeatedly and I delivered you from his hand. And you crossed the Jordan and came to Jericho and the citizens of Jericho fought against you and the Amorites and the Perizzite and the Canaanite and the Hittite and the Girgashite and the Hivite and the Jebusite. Thus, I gave them into your hand. Listen, I gave them into your hand. Then I sent the hornet before you and drove out the two kings of the Amorites from before you, but not by your sword or your bow. Listen to that but not by your sword or your bow. And I gave you a land on which you had not labored and cities which you had not built. And you have lived in them. You are eating of vineyards and olive groves, which you did not plant. Therefore are so now. God had did all of these things for them. It would be absolutely ridiculous for them to serve another God, to have an allegiance to another God. And I think many of us can say the same thing. We were living in darkness, but God brought us out of darkness through his son, Jesus, that we would have this relationship. God in the flesh comes down as a baby, dies and lives a life that we can never live, dies a death that we should have died, that we would have a life in him. Why, why, why would we serve any other God? Joshua is telling them, Do not serve other gods. And so he makes this declaration. And I think you all would agree. This is one of my favorite verses in the Bible in verse 15. He says, I don't know about what you guys are going to do, but strong contrast here. But as for me and my house, we are going to serve Yahweh. Hey, you can choose. You can go out there and do whatever it is you want to do. But me and my house, me and my wife, me and my wife, my children, uh, uh, we're going to serve Yahweh. And I hope that many of you in here today, because of what Christ has done, because he has revealed himself and open your eyes that you will have a life in Jesus, that you will look at all of the things of the world and say, No, uh uh-uh. uh, I'm gonna serve Yahweh. He has my allegiance. And so pondering that, I think Joshua makes a strong case. The children of Israel, they respond and they respond in verse 18. Look at the latter half of that verse. And they says, the children of Israel, they say, we also will serve Yahweh for he is our God. They respond again in verse 21. And the people said to Joshua, no, but we will serve Yahweh. Look at verse 24. And the people said to Joshua, we will serve Yahweh our God and we will listen to his voice. Look at verse 31. And it says, and Israel served Yahweh all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who survived Joshua. Who knew all the work of Yahweh, which he had done for Israel. So all the days that Joshua was there and all the days of the elders who were part of that um, particular group of people who went in, they served faithfully. But if we take any time to look at scripture, actually, if we go right to the next book, we see one of the themes of the book of Judges and they did what was right in their own eyes. That was the theme of the book. And, it's, and it shows seven cycles of Israel's disobedience against God and his law. If we were to look at 1 Kings, we see the division of the kingdom and them demanding another king. They wanted to be like the other nations. And we look at the book of 2 Kings, we see the, the Israelites going into exile, being banished from the land. And I'm bringing this up because that sense of rest that they had experienced it was only temporary. Yet, all throughout scripture, again, there's these glimpses of rest. There's this promise that God wants to give them, this idea of rest. And you even see this with the kings. Again, look at 2 Samuel chapter 7. 2 Samuel chapter 7. Now look at verse 1. Now David is the king at this point. And it says, now... It happened when the king inhabited his house; that is, David. And Yahweh had given him rest on every side from all his enemies. Again, there's this idea of rest—rest rest from his enemies. But then there's this idea of rest that it's going to be future. And I'm going to look at verse, look down at verse eleven. And so you know, Second Samuel chapter seven, verse eight through fourteen—that's what we call the. Davidic covenant. God had given a promise to David that there was going to be a seed, one who was going to rule forever. And that seed is going to be ultimately fulfilled in Christ. But as he's looking to the future, this is what God is saying through the prophet Nathan. And it says here, and even from the day that I commanded judges to be over my people, Israel, I will give you rest from all your enemies. Yahweh also declares to you that Yahweh will make a house for you. So again, God is promising David that he is going to have a house, a king that is going to rule. And ultimately, that is going to be fulfilled in Christ. And again, what I'm trying to point out is that there are these glimpses of rest. And even when rest was promised to them, they still refused. Look at Isaiah chapter 28. Isaiah chapter 28. And Isaiah, major theme is that you see the salvation of God, but yet the first half of the book, it's all about judgment. Isaiah chapter 28, look at verse 12. He who said to them, Here is rest, here is rest, give rest to the weary, and here is repose, but they would not listen. They would not listen. Yet, again, there's this promise for the future. Go to Isaiah chapter 14. Isaiah chapter 14. And look at verses 1 through 3. And it says here, When Yahweh will have compassion on Jacob, that is Israel, And again, choose Israel and put them in their own land. Then sojourners will join them and attach themselves to the house of Jacob. And the peoples will take them along and bring them to their place. And the house of Israel will possess them as an inheritance in the land of Yahweh for their male and female slaves. And they will take their captors, captors captive and will have dominion over their taskmasters. And it will be in the day when Yahweh gives you rest from your pain and turmoil and harsh slavery in which you have been enslaved, that you will take up this taunt against the king of Babylon. Guess what he's saying? There's gonna be a day when I'm gonna give you rest. There's gonna be a day when I give you rest. And what do we see with Jesus when he comes on the scene in the New Testament in Matthew chapter 11? He says, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you what? Rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. If we were to look at Psalm chapter 95, it says, do not harden your hearts as in the day of rebellion. And he says that they will not enter my rest because of disobedience because of disobedience. And he's drawing this illustration from that nation or, that, or, or the people of Israel when they could enter into the land because they brought a bad report. And God said that first generation, they were not going to enter into the land. And so the psalmist draw, draws an example and he says, don't be like that. Don't harden your heart, knowing that there is a rest for today, which brings me to my second point. We have to have a resolve for today. A resolve for today. But that resolve, again, is to enter into his rest. And just as I was talking about how Jesus talks about the theme of rest, Hebrews picks up on that same theme of rest. Turn your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 3. Hebrews chapter 3. And so the author of Hebrews is arguing about the supremacy of Christ over the old Levitical system. He is saying that Christ, he's better. We find fulfillment and completeness in Christ. And he's talking about just how awesome Jesus is. But he picks up on this theme of rest in Hebrews 3.11. And it says this, as I swore my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Look at verse 18, three, chapter 3, verse 18. And, who, and, di, and to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest? But to those who were, what? Disobedient. Look at one. Therefore, let us fear, lest while a promise remains, get this, while a promise remains of entering his rest, any one of you may seem to have fallen short of it. So here, again, right here, he is talking about there is a rest. There's a promise of rest that is ahead. And look at verse 3. For we who have believed enter that rest, just as he said, as I swore my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Now get this. There is also a promise or a fulfillment already being in his rest right now. Look at verse three again. For we who have believed enter that rest. How do we enter? Through faith. Look at verse five. And again, in this passage, they shall not enter my rest. Look at verse eight. For of Joshua, had given them rest, he would not have spoken of another day after that. Now, what is he doing? He's going all the way back to the Old Testament, Joshua. And if you know anything about the Hebrew language, Joshua or Yeshua means God is salvation. And if you were to look at Jesus and you were to look at his name in Hebrew, it's also Yeshua, God is salvation. Jesus is that second Joshua. Jesus is the one who gives true rest. You see, the Joshua of the Old Testament was not able to give them rest. But Jesus, the Son of God, God incarnate, who came in an human body, says, I am going to give you rest. Look at verse 9. So there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For the one who has entered his rest has himself also rested from his works, as God did from his look at verse nine again, so there remains a Sabbath rest, and we 're talking about this Sabbath rest there's this understanding that is there is an eschatological understanding here we 're looking to the future in other words we 're looking to heaven it 's to be in the very presence of God and to be able to rest for our souls, rest from our enemies, rest from all of the sin that we have to try to resist all of the time. There is a rest that is ahead of us. We ought to be resolved to enter into that rest. That is the promise that Jesus gives us to be able to find rest in him. You see, again, this text, it it, it serves, and I'm speaking of Joshua, it serves as an example for us to resolve ourselves to enter into the rest of God. But again, when I say resolve, what I mean is that you are to be committed. You are to make a consorted effort. You are to, God, I want to serve you with everything that is within me, that I will... Have this place of rest. Again, remember if I was to take you back to the times of me being in the gym, observing people who wanted to get lean or get cut or get ripped. You see, that's such a temporal thing. That's why it's not that motivating. But when I think about the goodness of God and where I'm headed, that should motivate me to continue to walk with him, to have a sense of resolve to enter into his rest. So when we look at these commands, fear Yahweh, serve Yahweh, put away foreign gods, put away idols and do not choose false gods or false ways of worship outside of the Lord Jesus Christ. But rather serve him. Foundation, let us resolve ourselves to enter into the rest of God. Let me pray. Father in heaven, we just, again, thank you for this time. And Lord God, I pray that we would be resolved to seek you with everything that is within us, Lord. Father, reveal and expose sin. And Lord, help us to confess and help us to trust you. May you get all glory. We thank you in your name. Amen.